All God's people said. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, turn over with me to Exodus chapter 15. Again, we're going to look at the end of this chapter because it kind of makes the main point of what the next several chapters of Exodus are about in a very explicit way. And so um, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 15. Verse 22, Exodus 15, starting verse 22, we'll go to the end of the chapter. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and all his decrees... I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Gracious Father, I pray as we study your word that you would renew our minds, change the way that we think, that you would grant us repentance. It would not only change our minds, but we'd change the way that we act, the way that we live our lives. That would be more consistent with Christ, be more consistent with the direction of your Holy Spirit. So I pray your blessing right now over the proclamation of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Life is full of victories that are followed by more tests. Life is full of victories that are followed by more tests. One day you have crossed the Red Sea. The next day uh, you're wandering into the wilderness to start a new chapter of life. And you're hungry and you're thirsty. This is life. Can't afford really to stop and dwell on yesterday's victories or yesterday's defeats for too long. Some live their lives. We're always tempted to live our lives Dwelling on old glory, on the good old days, right? We think about the way things used to be, and we have a tendency to dwell there. Some of us live our lives through the lens of a past mistake or a previous defeat that we've experienced in our lives. But the wise person wakes up every morning with the conviction that God's mercies are new every morning. He does what John Wooden says. He said, the old uh, basketball coach says, make every day your masterpiece. Every day you get a fresh start. Every, ga- every day you get a new chance to start afresh and to go forward. The sun rises anew, and while what happened yesterday may impact today, you have a new opportunity to respond and to take those challenges head on with a new mindset. Yesterday you may have crossed over the Red Sea, In victory and watched your enemies defeated, but today a wilderness awaits you full of challenges and tests. 
It's in the wilderness, though, that you learn a lot about yourself, a lot about who you are. Maybe you think you're strong, but then you face the wilderness. Then you face a test. You realize maybe you're weaker than you once thought you were. Or maybe you think, I can't do this. God can't bring me through this. And then you find out anew that God can, in fact, bring you through this. You can face new tests, new challenges head on. God's people were in the wilderness by his design. Notice what it says in verse 25. Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Then he threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. So whatever test they're about to go through is by God's design. Now, how many of us this morning, we love tests. Amen. Can't you get excited about tests? This is going to be a very different kind of message than last week, right? Last week, we're all excited. We passed through the, the Red Sea, and we get to get to the other side. We get to sing. And today, we get to turn around, and we get to look into the desert. And we're like, okay, now it's time for a wilderness wandering. Now it's time for a test. And there's probably a little bit different spirit when we face life's challenges, when we face life's Test. God's people are in the wilderness by his design, and we must be prepared. The wilderness, the wilderness, catch this, will last longer than you want it to, and it will cost more than you anticipate. The wilderness is going to last longer than you want it to, and it's going to cost you more than you would expect. They were... Exodus 15, they're coming into the wilderness wondering. Guess what book and chapter they get to actually enter into the promised land? Joshua chapter 3. Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua 1 and 2, and finally they begin to enter into the promised land. Guess how long it's going to take them? 40 years. 40 years. You know, lately, that number doesn't sound quite as long as it used to. (laughs) Doesn't sound quite as long as it used to. But I guess it's a long time when you're wandering in the wilderness. When you're wandering in the wilderness, they had 40 years ahead of them. And guess how many of them would pass into the promised land? Not many. The vast majority of this generation would die off having spent 40 years, or, or a long time at least, in the wilderness. Decades pass. There is hardship. There is failure. There is sin. There is struggle. If Moses were a coach, they would have bought him out and started looking for a new one. Okay? Just really would have. I mean, you got your three years, and then after that, if you don't have some victories in our belt, you're gone, right? If he were a politician, he would have had a very low approval rating, and he would have been voted out of office. Because guess what we're doing? I mean, we're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. If he were some other kind of leader, he might have had a vote of no confidence by this point. They are very upset, and we are three days in. Three days in, and things are beginning already to fall apart after that huge victory at the Red Sea. Well, we will all face the wilderness. We will all have our faith tested, and our topic today is how to survive 
the wilderness test. Because guess what? This story is not just a story for our uh, amusement, for our entertainment, uh, or just for our knowledge. It is a story for us to look back and to learn from. Because the reason the Bible has endured in part for so many years, not only because it's an inspired word of God, but because as people have listened to it, as people have learned from it, as people have implemented what it says, they have found there's a lot of wisdom here. There's a lot to be gained from the Bible. Many of you are sitting here today and your life has been changed. It has been enriched by the study of Scripture. And so we're going to learn from their experience today, and we're going to take three principles for surviving in the wilderness. Three principles for surviving in the wilderness. Number one, focus. Listen carefully and pay attention to the Lord. Focus. Listen carefully. Pay attention to the Lord. The first short story, as I said earlier, lays the foundation for what's going to be happening over the next several chapters. They're going to be thirsty, then they're going to be hungry, then they're going to be thirsty again because they were Southern Baptists after all. Um, no, that, they had this constant, like every day it was a new challenge that they were constantly in need of something. They constantly needed God to do something. And here they are three days in to the wilderness, three days into the desert, and they can't find water, and that's really hard. Um, Y'all, we grumble if we're going down I-35 and we can't find an exit to get off and grab ourselves a Dr. Pepper, right? I mean, we, we within a course of just 30 minutes, we start grumbling or complaining. We want an exit. We want something. They are spending three days just looking for water and not finding water. And so the Bible says that they grumbled. It's a constant theme throughout. But you can obviously tell that they are agitated by what is going on. And even when they finally do find the gas station, the soda machine is broken, right? They pull up and they find water. Praise the Lord, we found water. Oh, by the way, you, you can't drink it, it's bitter. Well, that makes them more agitated, of course. And so they come to Moses and say, what are we to drink? This is their response. They go to Moses, what are we to drink? And the Bible says they grumbled against Moses. Now, there's nothing in the words themselves that you would walk away and you'd say, well, that's grumbling. But we all know that you can say the exact same thing and you can have very different meanings depending on how you say it. I mean, there's, we come to the water, well, the, the water's bitter, so what, what are we going to drink? And it's more of a curiosity question, more of, okay, what, what's next? What, what's happening next? And there's, the water is bitter, what are we going to drink, Moses? That's a very different tone, isn't it? Some of us have experienced that tone. Some of us have used that tone before. That's where they are. They are agitated. Um, but the Bible says that God had a response as well. Notice God's gracious response. It says, verse 25, Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Again, he said, he threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. And there the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. So God actually is gracious to them. He responds to them. He accommodates their need. He gives them water. But he says, I'm about to put you to the test. And this, this is kind of an example. This is kind of a, a, a small test, but you've got other ones coming on down the road. Have you ever uh, picked up the phone? And after you pick up the phone... Uh, you hear these words, this call is being recorded for quality and training purposes. 
Now, what that means is that whatever is about to happen over the next several minutes, it's going to be recorded so that someone down the way, when they are training uh, to, be, uh, to work in this company and deal with customers, they might have something in this conversation that is instructive for them of how to handle it if something similar should arise in their own experience, in their own future. And personally, I've always taken it as a challenge to give them plenty of training material for now. I'm just kidding. Uh, well, you, you know, we listen to this and we're like, okay, th- this is an example of something they're going to have to deal with later on down the road. That's what God is basically saying to them. He's putting them to the test and they really should pay attention. They really should listen to what he says. And that is his first point. Notice what God says in verse 26. If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees. He's saying the same thing twice. If you listen carefully and if you pay attention. It's the same thing. He's saying the same thing with different words. If you listen carefully, if you pay attention, if you fix your eyes on me, you're going to be all right. If you focus your attention on me, you're going to be all right. It's like a director looking at the choir or the band and saying, eyes on me, eyes up here. Because what do we have a tendency to do when we get in the thick of things? We begin to put our heads down and we don't look up. And when we do that, everybody gets off. Everybody gets off. So his point is, fix your eyes on me. Listen carefully. Pay attention to what I am saying. It's like a football team looking to the sidelines to get the play before they run the play, to get instruction, to get guidance before they move forward. So as you come to the wilderness and as you have challenges that await you, the first thing that you actually have to do is to focus your mind and your heart on the Lord and be guided by Him. Turn over with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Some of you, if I were to ask you, what is your favorite passage in all of the Bible, you would drive up to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and six, some of you have it memorized very well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. This is a different way of saying what God is saying in Exodus 15. Lean not on your own understanding because your default interpretation, your default perception of what is happening is prone to being wrong. And some of you are like, yeah, y'all, that's right. Brother Jared's right. Y'all need to pay attention to this because the way that y'all see things is wrong. No. The way that we all see things, we have a tendency to interpret it, to perceive things off in a way that's not accurate to what is actually taking place. And so God says, do what? Lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. In effect, trust in the Lord. That's the opposite of leaning on your understanding is you lean on the understanding of the Lord. You allow him to shape reality for you rather than you doing it yourself because you will be wrong. Turn over to Matthew 14 if you would. Matthew 14. Excuse me, not 14. Chapter 4. Matthew 4. If you know anything about Matthew, you know that Jesus is portrayed as Israel. 
Uh, he comes out of Egypt. He uh, is going to now go into uh, chapter 3. He goes through the water. John the Baptist, he goes through the water. And now we come to Matthew chapter 4 uh, where he's going to be tested. He's going to be tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now I want you to pay attention to something as I read. I want you to pay attention to the tactic the devil uses to test Jesus, to tempt Jesus. Notice his tactic. Notice his angle. Jesus' answer is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, him and said, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. So here's the story about Jesus. He's in the wilderness, he's hungry. So this relates back to Israel. And the devil is testing him. The devil is tempting him. And as he's tempting him, what is he trying to do? He's trying to give him a certain perception, a certain perspective on the world. He takes him up to this high mountain so that he can see all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, hey, if you'll bow down and worship me, I will give you all of these things. But Jesus is so tuned in to his own word, to the word of God, that he is not drawn away by the temptation of the evil one, who's wanting to do what? Who's wanting him to make bread, who's wanting him to do a number of different things that goes against the will of God. Israel's problem is they allowed their perception of their situation become the standard upon which they based reality while Jesus overflowed with the heavenly perspective and the wisdom of God. You know you're going to be tested. You're going to be tested. That is the world that you find yourself in. You find yourself in a world where every single day there are going to be tests, there's going to be challenges, and yes, it comes in waves in some seasons, it's more difficult than others, but you can just expect that on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, monthly, yearly, you're going to have seasons, you're going to have times where you face that wilderness, where you face that test, and the devil always wants to shape the way that you see the world. Because he knows if he can get your focus off of Christ, off of God, and onto other things, then you will lead a defeated life. But if your perspective is a heavenly perspective, if you're focused on Christ, if you set your heart and your mind on things above, then you cannot be defeated because greater is he that is within you than he that is within this world. Principle number two. Principle number two, implement Practice the Lord's instruction and do what is right. So first, you are constructing for yourself, in the focus part of this, you're constructing for yourself a new way of seeing the world. You're digging a well 
in God's word for which you can draw wisdom from. In faith, you're receiving God's instruction. Your mind is being renewed by scripture as you diligently study the word and you set your mind on things above. Just while you're over in the neighborhood of Matthew, turn over a few more books to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, that's where that passage comes from. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. Notice what Paul says. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Have been. Established fact. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your mind, set your hearts on things above. Now, when we get to the book of Revelation, we've got, we kind of dabbled in a little bit last week, book of Revelation. And here's the thing about Revelation. We read Revelation, and what we're looking for, we want a timeline, we want to make a chart, we want to see how things are going to play out. That's part of it. But the reality is, when we read the book of Revelation, what it's actually doing is it's drawing us up into heaven where we see the throne room of God, and then we turn around and we begin to see what's happening on earth from a heavenly perspective. Because guess what? When you nail somebody to the cross from an earthly perspective, that looks like defeat. Like game over, you lost, you're obviously not the Messiah. But when you see it from a heavenly perspective, a dragon has been slain. The lamb has overcome. The lion has conquered. It's a totally different perspective when you're seated at the right hand of God Almighty. So what the Bible wants to do, especially in Revelation, is it wants to say, okay, we're on the stage of life and we see all of these moving parts, all of these things going on that don't make any sense. How many of you, that describes your normal day, you're just kind of looking around, not a whole lot makes sense. What Revelation wants to do is say, hey, wait a minute. Let's peel back the curtain. Look, the director's on his seat. Look, here, here's a script. Here's a script. It, it kind of explains what's going on. It kind of explains everything that's happening and puts everything into its pop, proper perspective. And so just so you know, this is what God is doing in the midst of the world. Now, does it boil it down to your precise circumstance? No, but I can promise you something. If all of that is true of Jesus being nailed to a cross, the perfect innocent lamb of God and the most horrific event that happened in human history just so happens to be our good Friday where we celebrate God's victory over sin death and the devil if it's true of that moment then how many moments do you think that you go through on a regular basis that God is doing something behind the scenes he's working something behind the scenes that's far beyond anything that you could imagine and what is your job to focus on God to trust in him. Lean not on your own understanding, because why? You're, you're, you're in the thick of it. Lean not on your own understanding, Job. Job, nothing makes sense. Nothing makes sense, but it makes perfect sense to us. Why? Because we're reading it from a heavenly perspective. Job did not have the book of Job. He just didn't have it. He was experiencing the book of Job. Who knows what, whether later on, if somebody, if he wrote it out or however that happened, but Maybe when he got to heaven, he's like, oh, okay, that that makes a lot more sense now. But he did not have the perspective on earth 
God basically told him that at the end. Where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? He had a finite mind. And so we set our minds on things above. We focus on the Lord. But then we come to a place of implementation where we begin to practice the Lord's instruction. We begin to apply it to our lives. Listen and do. Pay attention and keep. Hear and apply. And all God's people said, oh me. Because we are far better at sitting, ba- as, at, at sitting back and being passive listeners and saying, man, that's, that's beautiful. That's just wonderful. But then we leave here, and what are we going to do about any of it? Listen and do. Pay attention and keep. Hear and apply. This is the life rhythm of someone who will be successful in the wilderness. We are prone to be entertained and then go out and do nothing about it. We enjoy studying the Word of God. We have embarrassing riches of Bible studies and lessons and lectures and so on. But then we fail to implement all of that into our daily lives. We should immerse ourselves. Like if you want to have a renewed focus on the Lord, if you want to have a changed mindset, it will not happen. It will not, listen to me, it will not happen unless you immerse yourself in it. That's the only way. It's through immersion. Like you've got to meditate on God's word. That's why David said day and night, day and night. He's a man after God's own heart. He just immersed himself in it. Some of us immerse ourselves in a number of different things and it shapes the way that you see the world and it shapes the way that you see yourself. Whether you realize it or not, whether you admit it or not, it does. We must immerse ourselves in the word of God, but then we must begin to apply it. Here's the thing. Some, some listen to Moses and a lot of them listen to Moses for just a little bit. Turn back to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, so now we've moved from chapter 15 where they're thirsty, and now we're in chapter 16 where they are hungry. And again, they are grumbling against the Lord. It says in 16 verse 6, So Moses and Aaron said to all Israelites in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt in the morning. You will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. So he's like, okay, you're really not grumbling against. You think you are. You're actually grumbling against the Lord. Now, this is days. We're we're days away from this victorious experience of walking across the Red Sea, seeing your enemy defeated, but how short are our memories? God does something phenomenal in our lives. He saves us. He redeems us. He he works in the situation to bring healing, and we very quickly forget we move on, and they have fallen back into this pattern, this posture of grumbling. And so they... They do some of what God tells them to do. It says uh, down a little bit in uh, chapter 16, verse 17, the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, 
The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, how many of us, we do good until about 9 a.m., and then there is that however, then Jared, you know, and then, then it's, uh, the story takes a turn. Then some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. And then they do the same thing with the Sabbath. They seem to do okay, but then on the Sabbath day, they're not supposed to go out and gather, and yet they still do. On the Sabbath, they go out and they gather. So it's like they partially did what God wanted them to do, but they didn't do it 100%. And I think there's a lot for us to learn from that. There's a lot for us to gain from that, where there are certain things in Scripture that we like that sound good. Sounds good to go out and get some food today. Sounds good to go out and get some some meat and some quail and some whatever, uh, some manna from heaven. Sounds good to do that. Doesn't sound good to not keep piling on the plate, right? I don't like that. I don't like that I can't go out on the Sabbath day. I don't like that I'm supposed to do these other things. And so I'm going to really do what God tells me to do over here, but not 100% of it. So there's always a however. There's always a nevertheless. There's always something in us that goes to a certain extent, and then we part from what God has called us to do. But implementation is not halfway, it's not partial, it's full. We must lean on God's understanding and do what God has called us to do. This is why Christ, when he calls us to believe in the gospel, he says, repent and believe. Repent, that word repent simply means a change of mind which results in a change of your behavior. And a lot of us, we just want to leave it at the change of mind. But it requires a change of lifestyle in all of us where we go to the full extent of what God has called us to do. This is why Jesus, when it got time for him to talk about making disciples and the Great Commission, he talked about go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So God's with us, but being a disciple of Christ means that we observe his commands. Finally, number three, magnify. Number three, magnify, express gratitude for the good. Express gratitude for the good. Now, fast forward all the way over. We have another uh, chapter 17 where there's uh, thirst and there's uh, that whole dynamic again. And there's this theme of grumbling again. And so it's the same scenario played over and over and over. That's true of them. I think the story is told so that we know that's what our tendencies are as well. But then you come to chapter 18, and you have the story of Jethro. Jethro is the father-in-law of Moses. And skip on down to uh, Exodus 18, verse 7. It says, So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. So notice this is the way that Moses is portraying everything that happened. Now I want you to think about the situation. If you were in Moses' shoes, how would you retell this story? What would your retelling be? 
Man, we went from one place to the other, and, and all these people are complaining, and, and Lord, uh, or, or Jethro, you know, then, then we, we come to this place in the wilderness. We've been wandering for three days. We can't find water. We can't find food. Then we're thirsty, and, and a lot of times when we retell our own stories, we retell what's going on. We retell it in a much different way, but in Moses' situation, when he retells the story of God, it is the story of how God saved, of how God delivered. He magnifies the Lord. He magnifies the work of the Lord, and he minimizes the hardship. He still brings it up. He still brings it up, but he magnifies the work of the Lord. Look over at verse 9. Chapter 18, verse 9, Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. So what does he do? Again, he magnifies what God has done not the hardships. When you retell your story, what are you going to magnify? What are you going to make a big deal of in your life? Moses, big deal of what God is, who God is and what God has done. Jethro is delighting in the work of the Lord. He's expressing gratitude for the good. And so here, here's the reality that we find ourselves in. A lot of us, uh, we have kind of a media mentality. What is the media going to really amp up I mean, it could be, you know, uh, something very minute, but they're going to look at the bad because why? We want to blame it on the media, but why do they do that? Because like a moth to a flame, we are drawn to stories that are bad. We just are. We love controversy. We, we love the, the corruption. We, we love all that. We, we watch those kind of shows. That's part of our human nature. That, that's what tends to often fascinate us. But the problem is we a lot of times transfer that over into our own lives. We're more fascinated with those things than we are the grace and the kindness and the mercy and the saving work of God. And it shapes the way, it wires the way that you see the world. How are you going to retell your story? Is it going to be like Moses? Are you going to have the response of Jethro where you delight in the goodness of God in his provision? Or are you going to do what a lot of the Israelites did, which is constantly find things that are wrong in the world? Turn over as we close to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Whatever your day is like, I'm going to assume that it's not going like a crucifixion that Jesus went through, right? I mean, if we have a cross-shaped vision of the world, that beautiful song we often sing, Be Thou My Vision, if we have a vision of the world through the cross and the crucifixion, the death of Jesus Christ, it really does shape how we experience the world in which we live. Because I'll, I'll challenge you something. Go take me to the place where Jesus grumbled. So, well, he, he's the son of God and, and, you know, he's perfect. It's true. But the Bible says that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, which means your goal, my goal, is to become like Jesus. That's tough, isn't it? That's tough. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, listen to it. 
It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes, focusing, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Worst thing you can do in the wilderness is lose heart and give up. Look to Jesus who endured the cross. Why did he endure the cross? For the joy that was before him. Spire our heads and close our eyes this morning. just want to ask you, do you know Christ? Have you given your life, surrendered your life to Christ? Is he the one that helps you see the world differently? But more importantly... Have you trusted in him by grace and through faith for eternal salvation? Gracious Father, I pray over every person here, this opportunity we have to trust in you. I pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts. You'd guide us. You would help us focus on Jesus, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to take the wisdom that the Bible is full of, to dig this deep well, but then to drink from it to put into action those things that you teach us, to take seriously your commands. And Father, to magnify your greatness, to magnify your work in our midst, to follow after you in faithfulness and persevere, not lose heart, but for the joy set before all of us to endure to the end. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. The altar's open. If you want to trust in Christ, if you want to